0: There was once a rather wealthy man, and he decided that he needed to get a very special gift for his mother for her birthday, something really out of the ordinary. He found out about this bird uh, that had a vocabulary of 4,000 words, could speak all sorts of different languages, and could sing three operatic arias, Um, quite the talented little bird, okay, So he immediately bought the bird for $50,000 and had it transported, the overnight transport to his mother for her birthday, to be there the next day for her birthday. So he calls her the next day on her birthday to see if she had received his gift, and he said, what did you think of the bird? And she replied, it was delicious. (laughs) A little mix-up of the purpose of that bird, right? <laughs> she thought it was food. He thought it was for entertainment. But oftentimes it's important for us to know what is the purpose for what we're doing? What's my purpose? What's the purpose for an item? Uh, things like that. Obviously, uh, this, this rich man's mother did not get the purpose. Uh, he did not give any instructions. Uh, and as a result, something unintentional happened. So today we're going to be in Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. The title of the sermon is Powerful and Purposeful Encouragement. So please follow along as I read verses 8 through 15 of Romans chapter 1. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with, all, with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness, How constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times, and I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong, that is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for the whole, the whole of Scripture, and we thank you today for this great letter that was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome. and Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, help us to understand what you have for us today, and help us to not only understand, but help us to apply it to our lives. In our Savior Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned, purpose, or knowing our purpose, is extremely important. And um, there was an old evangelist many, many years ago, Billy Sunday was his name. Perhaps you're familiar with him. He said, more men fail through lack of purpose than lack of talent. More men fail through lack of purpose than lack of talent. Think about that for a little bit. And I think that's true. You know, you think about a lot of people that are busy doing a lot of things, but why are they busy doing what they're doing? You know, what is their purpose in life? Uh, There once was an A gentleman who, when he would talk to people, instead of asking them what they did for a living, he would ask, what have you done that you believe in and are proud of? What have you done that you believe in and you are proud of? Uh, It was kind of an unsettling question. People didn't always know how to answer. He said, I don't really care how they answer. I just want to put the thought into their minds. They should live their lives in such a way that they can have a good answer. Uh, And the answer wouldn't be for him asking the question, but for them as they live their lives. You know, what are they doing that really amounts to much? Um, That's what he felt was important. So today we're going to be seeing that Paul, I think, is proclaiming to the Romans his purpose. He's also seeking to encourage them through this communication to them. So we're going to work our way through these verses and hopefully... We will learn some things that will be profitable for us. The first way that Paul encouraged the believers at Rome was, number one, Paul affirmed them. We see that in verse 8. And if you've got a bulletin on the backside, there should be sermon notes if that's helpful for you to follow along. But number one, Paul affirmed them. I think most of us can understand Paul's concern. You know, We, we see in the New Testament many letters written by the Apostle Paul to churches. Most of those churches were churches that he had been involved in starting and getting going, and he's instructing them. Rome was different. He had never been to the church at Rome. And uh, why would, we would ask, why would he have such care? Why would he even be concerned about this church at Rome? Uh, he was unknown to them, yet he wanted to assure them that he was deeply concerned about their welfare. We've got to remember, okay, this is in Rome, the, the capital city of that day. This was not a little tiny town. This is a very large metropolitan area. Uh, remember also we had learned in our previous study that life was difficult for the Roman believers and it was going to become increasingly difficult. Uh, at this point, uh, Nero is going to be getting in charge and he's okay to begin with, but in a little while he's going to take out his aggression on Christians, and it was going to be very, very difficult to be a, a Christian living in Rome. Also, we know that uh, the Jews, before uh, Nero had, had become Caesar, uh, the Caesar before him had kicked out the Jews from Rome. Uh, there's various reasons why they think that happened. Uh, many people think it was because it was the Jews that had been at Pentecost, had placed their faith in Christ, had come back to Rome, and they were evangelizing uh, other people in Rome. I don't know exactly the reason why they got kicked out, but we know that they got kicked out based on Paul meeting up with Aquila and Priscilla at Corinth, where he was when he writes this letter to the Romans. So, back to Rome. Life was hard for everyone, but being a Christian was especially difficult. So, imagine if you're a Christian, you're living in Rome it's hard times. I mean, life is difficult for you. Think about what you would need. I think if anything, when we go through hard times, one of the most important things for us is encouragement. When somebody comes along and encourages us, and a letter from someone of Paul's reputation would have been a huge encouragement to them. Okay, they've never met this guy, but they've probably heard about him, you know, and he he writes them a letter sharing his concern about them, trying to encourage them. So he started by letting them know that he was thankful for them. Verse 8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. So he's letting them know. He's thankful to God for them. Um, He's thankful that the work of Christ has worked in their lives. They've placed their faith in Jesus Christ. He goes on to say in the last part of that verse, Because your faith is being reported all over the world. Would that encourage you if somebody wrote you a letter and said, hey, by the way, you guys are doing pretty well. The whole world knows that you guys are Christians. That's pretty cool. You know, that'd be an encouragement. So he's encouraging them. Most people hear little affirmation. We get very little encouragement. Um, We get sparse amounts at work, maybe a little less amount at home. It Depends on your home life, I suppose. And you come to church, you probably don't get much encouragement. But really, as a church body, that should be one of the things we're doing is encouraging one another. Um, Words of appreciation or gratitude, they don't cost us anything, right? I mean, it's very easy to give somebody some encouragement, but yet we fail to do that. The struggling believers in Rome needed to hear someone say, Well done, keep on doing what you are doing. It's having a lasting impact in the world. Uh, and I think it's also good to remember, there was, to our knowledge, there was no apostle that started the church. We have people that went to Pentecost in Jerusalem. Uh, Peter's preaching. They accept Christ. They go back to Rome, and they start up this church. You know, That's pretty amazing how many of us would say, oh, yeah, yeah, I want to go start up a church you know, with no help. Uh, yet that's what they did. Encouragement goes a long way. Uh, Psychologist John Gottman, he said he can tell within five minutes of interacting with a married couple if that marriage is going to make it or not. He goes, it's very easy to tell if if these people encourage each other or not. And it's always good when we can affirm people. So your assignment, I'm going to repeat it later, your assignment today is think of at least one person, maybe a handful of people, maybe... Two handfuls of people that you can encourage. You know what is it that you could say to somebody that would be an encouragement to them? So, a very practical way to let somebody know that you are um, concerned about them, letting them know you're you're trying to encourage them is point number two. Paul says that he prayed for them. Yeah, you know, saying words of affirmation, saying words of encouragement are very easy. Praying for somebody is that hard to do? pretty easy to do right we just need to do it um and again we go back paul doesn't know these believers if you jump over to chapter 16 i believe it is he does some greetings but these are people that he's met probably in his missionary journeys that are now in rome but for the most part he does not know the people here and yet he prays for them how many people do you pray for that you don't know it's a good practice if you can pray for those that you don't know um And I highly doubt until this letter was written that anybody in Rome knew that Paul was praying for them. But Paul lets them know that he's praying for them. If you are praying for somebody, let them know you're praying for them. That's an encouragement for them. Um, Prayer is one of the most powerful things that we can do as a believer. When I read through the letters that Paul wrote, I don't know about you, but I get very challenged. He talks about all these people that he's praying for all the time. I don't know about you, but I don't pray for people like I should. You know? But I think it's something we all can do and that we should be doing. Um, so let's take an example from Paul's prayer life and let people know that we are praying for them on a regular basis um, because that will be an encouragement to them. Look with me at verses 9 and 10. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness and get this, how I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. So He's not just throwing it out there, yeah, I pray for you all the time. He's saying, no, God's my witness, I'm praying for you all the time. Um, so he's, he's not lying, I believe he's telling the truth here. So Paul had been in ministry long enough to know the value of being physically present when someone needs encouragement so point three, Paul expresses to them his desire to be with them in verse 10. So Paul is letting them know, you know, guys, I, I, I really want to be with you. I want to be there. I want to help you. And I think that would have been an encouragement to them as well, a real boost for them. I think most of us are familiar with the name Billy Graham. Uh, Billy has passed on. He's with the Lord now. But let's assume Billy Graham is still alive, okay? And let's assume Billy Graham writes a letter to Fellowship Baptist Church and says, I want to come to Nevis and minister with you. I don't know about you, but that'd be a great encouragement to me. You know, that here's here's somebody that cares about us and they want to come and help us. I think we'd all be very encouraged. Um, So for Paul to plan to visit Rome would have been a great encouragement to the Christians at Rome. Uh, I think it would have been an encouragement to the believers and to the unbelievers as well. So, Paul lets them know he's wanted to go to Rome to visit them, to minister with them, but he's not been able to. He's been kept up to this point from being able to do that. Uh, We know that it's going to be a while before he gets there. And he ends up, as we saw in our study of Acts, that he ends up there as a prisoner. When Paul wrote this, I don't know that Paul knew he was going to be going to Rome as a prisoner. He probably thought he was going to be there... (laughs) On his own means, right? Not under the, the uh, bondage of somebody else. But not only did Paul affirm and pray for the believers in Rome, he also prayed that he might visit them so that he might help them. Point four, Paul promised to assist them. Look at verses 11 through 13. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented uh, from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. So you might ask, what was the spiritual gift that Paul mentions in verse 11? Uh, some commentators believe that Paul intended to give The believers in Rome, some supernatural powers, you know, some spiritual powers to do the work that God had given them to do. I personally do not think that's what Paul had in mind, uh, because the spiritual gift is something every believer stands to gain from by the mutual building of faith, and he kind of mentions that there. So I don't think Paul was planning to give them a spiritual gift that they lacked, I think he's planning to share his spiritual gifts with them, the gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge, the gift of teaching, the gift of apostleship, to try to teach them, to ground them, to encourage them in their faith. Um, And Paul says he's going to be strengthened, they're going to be strengthened uh, by that taking place. The fruit or harvest Paul hopes to have refers, I think, to the result of ministry. It'd be more converts who place their faith in Christ, more Christians who would become more committed to Jesus Christ. Um, And I think people like the Roman believers would have welcomed somebody like the Apostle Paul coming to them. As I mentioned, they hadn't had any outside help up to this point. So to have a big gun like the Apostle Paul come to them would have been a great encouragement. And I think Paul appreciated... The grit and the determination of these people at Rome that, I mean, they had started this church and this is where they were. He appreciated that and he wanted to come alongside them and help them in any way that he could. In verses 14 and 15, we find point five, Paul was obligated and eager to preach the gospel. Let's look at verses 14 and 15. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish, That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. So when someone else does what you are supposed to do, I think it's encouraging. Let's say you've been given the task of weeding the garden. Does it encourage you if somebody else comes out there to help you weed the garden? Sure, it does, right? Uh, Let's say you've been given the task, uh, a recent example, okay? We tried to minister to Nevis during musky days. I'm really thankful that I wasn't the only one doing it, that others helped me out, You know that you came alongside and did that ministry as well. So Paul has the responsibility to proclaim the gospel. We know his story. A great change has taken place. I mean, he goes from trying to get rid of all the Christians to trying to convert everybody to become a Christian. He's a great ambassador for Jesus Christ. In verse 14, Paul says that he is obligated... And I think where he says he's obligated there, he's saying he's obligated to the entire human race to proclaim the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. Paul's obligation was that he had been given the good news. okay. And I don't think this obligation means he had to do this in order for himself to be saved. I think what he's saying is, because I'm saved, I got this great uh, obligation, this desire to let everybody else know about what God has done for me. So... Paul goes on in verse 14 to tell who he is obligated to. He says, to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, the wise and the foolish. Okay? Either you're a Greek or you're not a Greek, right? That pretty much covers everybody. And either you're wise or you're foolish. covers everybody else. So I think what Paul is saying here is, I'm obligated to everybody. I want to preach the gospel to everybody. Back in Genesis, we learned about sin coming to the earth from Adam and Eve. Since that time, no matter how educated a person is, they're a sinner, right? They need Jesus Christ. And some are educated about what Jesus Christ has done for them. Others aren't. Paul describes his feelings in verse 15. I'm eager to preach the gospel to the people in Rome. So Paul's passion burned with the urgency of someone who had just found the fire escape in a burning high-rise building. I mean, he was pretty excited. It's like, whoa, I found it. You guys need to hear about this. And he's letting them know. He absolutely knew his passion and purpose. There, I don't think there's any doubt if you look through Paul's life, from what we read in the New Testament, this guy got it. He knew his, his, what his passion was, and he knew what his purpose was, and it was very evident to everybody else. I'd like to close today by looking at some observations number six. Point eight, encouragement is a very powerful thing to do for someone. Benjamin Franklin once said, glass, china, and reputation are easily cracked and never well mended. In this letter to the Romans, Paul is commending these Roman believers uh, for the reputations they had acquired. You know, he, he basically said, your faith is world famous. Uh, so how are you at encouraging other people? Paul, We see Paul encouraging here. As I look at my life, i go, like, ooh, I could do a better job of encouraging other people. And maybe you're like that as well. You feel the need that, you know, I'm not very good at this, I need to be better. So I'm challenged by this passage and many other passages where Paul is, is encouraging other people. I came across an illustration I'd like to share with you that talks about how powerful encouragement really is. One day, I, and I don't know, I know that the lady was a math teacher, I don't know if she was in junior high or high school, it doesn't really matter. But one day she gave the assignment, everybody take two sheets of paper and write the name of everybody in the class and leave a space in between. Okay? And then you had to go and write down what you appreciate about each of those people. And she gave the assignment, took the rest of the class time to do it, and um, then on that weekend, she collated all the information, and you know, with John Smith at the top of the page, and would write down every what everybody said about him. So that way through all the people in the class. Monday she passes them out, and she she saw people's faces light up when they would get their papers. You know, like wow, I, I never knew I meant anything to anybody. I didn't know other people liked me so much were some of the comments, and that was it. They never really thought much more about it. A few years pass. One of the students she had was killed in Vietnam. So she goes to the funeral, and she's standing there. Everybody's passing by the coffin, paying their respects, and she's one of the last people. And as she stood there, one of the soldiers who acted as a pallbearer came up to her, and 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 the, the man said, were you mark's math teacher he asked she nodded yes then he said mark talked about you a lot then after the funeral uh, the classmates got together was, you know your typical funeral lunch and they kind of got together afterwards it, uh, so it's the classmates and also his the the young man who was killed his parents and the, the mother and father wanted to speak to the teacher. They said, we want to show you something. Taking a, a wallet out of his pocket, they found this on Mark when he was killed. We thought you might recognize it. Opening the billfold, he carefully removed two worn pieces of notebook paper that had obviously been taped, folded, and refolded many times. The teacher knew without looking that the papers were the ones on which she had listed all the good things each of Mark's classmates had had said about him. And thank you so much for doing that, Mark's mother said. As you can see, Mark treasured it. All of Mark's former classmates started to gather around. Charlie smiled rather sheepishly and said, I still have my list. It's in my top drawer of my desk at home. Chuck's wife said, Chuck asked me to put his in our wedding album. I have mine too, Marilyn said. It's in my diary. Then Vicki, another classmate, reached into her pocketbook, took out her wallet, and showed her worn and frazzled list to the group. I carry this with me at all times, Vicki said, and without batting an eyelash, she continued, I think we all saved our lists. That's when the teacher finally sat down and cried. She cried for Mark and for all his friends who would never see him again. Think about it. A simple little assignment impacted many lives just because they encouraged one another. So tell those you know why you appreciate them and encourage them while you can. When you encourage someone, it can have a greater, much greater impact than you think it can have. You know? And so I'd encourage you. Try to encourage others. Uh, the other observation I'd like for you to notice, point B, genuine faith is commendable. We know that Paul was commending the believers at Rome for their faith. Uh, verse 8, he, he writes that their, their faith was becoming world-famous. So I'd just like to talk a little bit about what, what is genuine faith in Christ. Uh, number one, genuine faith is based on knowledge. Okay, Genuine faith is based on knowledge. You must know the facts. You must know the facts that uh, God is holy. Uh, you're a sinner. You must know that sin blocks us from... Uh, a relationship with god we are spiritually dead we are headed to hell but god provides a way of escape for us by sending his son jesus christ christ went to pay our death penalty on the cross and he died was buried rose again without that knowledge we can't be saved from our sin it's the good news bad news right The bad news is we need jesus christ good news is he's available for us Secondly, genuine faith agrees with the facts of the gospel. Not only must you know the facts of the gospel, you must agree that they are true. Okay? We've kind of briefly went over those facts. But it's one thing to know them. It's another thing to believe that they're true. Okay? Um, but according to James 2.19, Satan's and, Satan and demons believe those facts are true. Okay? So it must... I mean, more than those two things are needed. Number three, genuine faith is trust. You must have trust in Jesus Christ to save you. You must have all three elements. You must have a knowledge of the gospel, you must have, you know, you must agree to the facts of the gospel, and then you must trust Christ. How many of you have heard of a guy named Charles Blondin back in the 1800s? anybody hear of this guy? Charles Blondin was... Uh, an acrobat uh, a very probably the most famous tightrope walker at that time he was from France he came to America and I believe it was 1859 he strung a an 1100 foot I'm, I'm guessing it's a cable I don't know cable rope whatever you walk on tightrope people across the Niagara Gorge okay you got the falls and you got the big gorge he strings that across and he gets up there he walks and it's it's 160 feet above the river. So, I don't know about you, but I would not want to be up there. Mm-hmm. But he gets up there. He walks across. Actually, I, I, I read that he actually stopped halfway between and had an omelet, cooked himself an omelet, and then finished the way, came back. Then next he takes a wheelbarrow, puts a sack of potatoes in the wheelbarrow, walks that all the way across, and comes back. And then he asks, how many of you think that I could do that with a person. And there, you know, a lot of people, oh, yeah, yeah, you could do that, no problem. So he walks up to one of the guys that was saying, yeah, no problem. He said, okay, you come get in the wheelbarrow. That's trust, right? He would have complete trust that this famous tightrope walker, Blondin, could get him from point A to point B, back to point A again. And that's what genuine faith is. You may know the facts about the gospel. You may agree with the facts about the gospel. But do you really trust Jesus Christ to be your Savior? Have you placed your faith in Christ and him alone for your salvation? Do you have genuine faith? And hopefully you do. If you don't, I would strongly encourage you to place your faith in Christ. And if you have questions, talk to me, talk to a lot of other people here. Uh, We'd be happy to try to answer those for you. I'd like to close our service today by reading Hebrews chapter 10 verses 23 through 25 and if you'd like to turn there that, you're welcome to do that Hebrews 10 uh, 23 through 25 I think are some really good verses very encouraging verses and really are a challenge for those of us who are Christians starting at verse 23 Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And Pay extra special attention to verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. My challenge for you today is, if you don't know Christ, place your faith in him. If you do know Christ, be thankful about that and get your eyes off of yourself start looking at other people and seeing how you can encourage them because that's that's really what we should be all about well, not all about but we should be about that and a lot of other things as well uh, but just today I would encourage you who can you sit back think about who could I encourage you know and maybe you could encourage somebody or many people before you leave today in Sunday school I heard some encouragement go on um, Bob told Joanne, you know, they'd been praying, and they were so thankful for her her cheerful demeanor at the, the booth yesterday when people were coming up to her. That's an encouragement thing, you know? Yes, so we have many ways we can encourage people. It's not a hard thing to do. We just need to... Bob, Ray, and Joanne, they were there at the booth representing Jesus Christ, and it was a beautiful sight. So let's think how we can encourage others, and let's do it. All right, Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you as we look and see how Paul encouraged others, people he had never even met. Lord, help us to encourage others. Help us to encourage, first of all, those that we know. And then let's broaden that perspective to even those that we don't know and have never met. We thank you for the encouragement we find in Scripture. We thank you for the encouragement we find in the gathering and the fellowship of believers. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to be people who encourage one another in love and good deeds and that we would be seeking to edify one another in what we do and in what we say. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.